Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe, and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University. For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the book of Revelation challenges power structures, helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember Podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and seven horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of whores and of earth's abominations. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly amazed. But the angel said to me, Why are you so amazed? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw... Welcome to the podcast. This week we're talking about Revelation chapter 17. And in this chapter, we have really have one central character that we're looking at, and that would be um, Babylon the Great. Yes. So we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but often um, in ancient Near East literature, in the Bible, we have cities that get personified as women. Uh, they're, they're usually female. I don't know of any examples where they're male and one of the things that happens with that is cities get pillaged, cities get attacked. And when describing that, the language used is language of rape and of violence towards women, which is very painful uh, as a reader, very painful as a woman, and really as a, as a human being, anybody who can relate to violence being done to, to somebody um, this personification of a city as a woman and as a human being is really profoundly disturbing. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear in this instance that, and, and really in all the instances in the biblical text, that this that Babylon is the bad guy. And so you're not supposed to feel bad for her. Like, she's kind of getting what's coming to her. But as a 21st century reader reading this text, you have this woman who's being completely violated um, and 
and there really isn't anything more painful to engage in. Um, and then to take that a little further, when we think about women in the biblical text or in ancient texts, you kind of get three tropes. You get the mother, the whore, and the virgin. And you really don't get anything, any, any real consistent images of women that don't fall in one of those three categories, which says something about what, you know, the text is trying to say that women are capable of or should be doing or kind of roles that they should fulfill. Yeah. On one level, this passage does violence to the reader in that it is violent and it brings up this incredibly painful imagery. But on another level, it does violence to women in that it kind of uh, strictly defines what women's roles are. And they're just really these three, the the mother, the virgin, and the whore, which is really unfair um, and, and really ugly. It makes me think a lot about the conversations that are happening kind of in the world now about the power of seeing yourself represented in, in a text, and this is our sacred text. So the way that women are showing up here and the way that we, um, speak for Spoon and I as females at this table right now, are seeing ourselves in this text um, is damaging and does do violence against the reader. I think it's kind of silly at first to, to use that phrase, but when you think about it, I mean... There's power in seeing yourself represented. And in these cases, in order to see the way that we understand our identities represented in the biblical text, we often have to read ourselves into the male characters or identify with um, male figures. And that's not true across the board. There are little glimmers of, of women who are pushing back against their patriarchal roles elsewhere. But here in particular, I mean, this is kind of a classic image of, you know, the whore. Yes. And I know, I mean, you had pointed out earlier, we're not supposed to feel bad for her. She represents Babylon, Rome, this imperial overlord that is destroying everything. Um, But I do feel bad for her. I feel bad for her on a visceral level. I feel compassion for her because she's personified as a woman and I don't want her to be harmed. Um, so I think it's fair to acknowledge that and to lift that up, even if that's not reflective of the historical context. There is there's pain in there. I think maybe a helpful modern interpretation of Babylon might be uh, Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones, because she's very powerful and very much about wealth and not portrayed as particularly pure. either but she is really powerful and she is very much a central figure in the Lannister story especially if you've been keeping up with the episodes I mean by the end of season five she's spoiler alert the one that's kind of in charge so another thing that I noticed as we read through this chapter was the repetition of the word great Uh, so Babylon the great is the mysterious name that is written on this woman's forehead and um the angel describes that the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth and one of the reasons that word has stood out to me is because of the way it has been used over the past uh year um in Donald Trump's campaign with this slogan make America great again which has been co-opted time and time again for other things And so it made me 
maybe think of the mystery of that name. What what does it mean to be great? Here it's used to describe things that are profoundly evil. Um, I had said earlier as we were preparing, you know, make America great again, mother of whores and of Earth's abominations. And we laughed, but it's also really kind of a crushing, ooh, that's a powerful, convicting statement. Yeah, how, how, how do you want to be aligned? There's a really powerful comparison in this chapter about what the Lamb's followers are like versus what Babylon's followers are like. So the Lamb's followers are noted for um, being chosen and called and faithful. And Babylon's people are actually going to be her downfall. They're going to devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And they hate her. I think that's a really important contrast to note. Like Babylon is great, and yet those who follow Babylon are not trustworthy, are going to turn as soon as as Babylon's fortunes reverse. And there's something ugly that says about consumption, too. If we reflect upon ourselves as Americans in the 21st century and, and the American empire, like we know that we're consuming our resources. We know that we're consuming like at the expense of other people's labor and other people's well-being and yet here we are well uh, and added to that i mean how many nations around the world because they have a weaker economy or a weaker military will go along with policies like u.s economic policies that don't necessarily benefit them Mm -hmm. because they don't really have a choice so like what would happen if our nation's fortunes were reversed i mean what kind of uh, relational capital do we have on the world stage so in the coming week what are your relationships like if you have a lot of friends but if your popularity or your fortunes would fail would they still be as dedicated would they still be as caring are you involved in any relationships where if the relationship would reverse in any way you would find it really easy to leave i think it's really important to take a look at what our relationships are really like at their nature and in a truly loving relationship obviously we stick with each other through thick and thin we're faithful to the end but what about the relationships that maybe aren't so healthy And while we're thinking about that, is there anything that we can do to make them healthier? Can we look at the relationships that we have in a way that they are increasing peace and justice and kindness and love? As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, And we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved. 2017.